It's lovely to have so many animals here, corn, snakes, guinea pigs, hedgehogs, and of course, dogs. And this is my new best friend. She's a Border Terrier called Dot, and we think she's about six. And I'm sure you'll agree that she's also the finest animal in the room. <laughs> Before she came to us back in January, Dot was a breeding mother in kennels and retired from having puppies. Before turning up at ours, she'd never lived in a house, never been for a walk, never been called by name. Moving in with us has been a culture shock. She's had to find out about all sorts, including the telly, our chickens, our sheep, the horse, the pond, the traffic, not to mention house training. It's been quite something. And for us, more than 20 years since we last had a dog, it means we have another person in the house. We have someone who has demands, needs, and sensitivities. There are significant shifts in our routines, our priorities. Was that an amen? <laughs> and I can't tell you what a marvel it's been. We've seen Dot change into a cheerful, inquisitive bundle of energy and affection who makes us go out for walks and makes us laugh out loud. She's still quite shy, worried about thresholds and new experiences, she hasn't barked yet, but she's been growing more confident and more mischievous by the day. She's enlarged our lives, and I hope that we've enlarged hers. Because this is what animals do. They become woven into our lives, and there's a delightful mutuality about it. We love them and teach them stuff, and they love us and teach us back. We and our animals need one another. Like uh, the mongrel in the poem Adrian read, they help glue us together. They bring us joy and they comfort us when we're despondent. They do us good. A friend of mine, a former GP, tells me that he thinks that anyone with depression should be able to get a dog on prescription. Animals can make that much difference. Animals teach us so many things, and people have recognised this since the dawn of time. Jane read to us from the book of Job, which some people may think may be the oldest book in the Bible. And the writer says, just to remind you, ask the animals and they will teach you. Ask the birds of the air and they will tell you. Ask the plants of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you. One particular gift that animals have is their natural ability, rather like the dog that Andy told us about, to live in the moment to celebrate the now. Jesus of Nazareth once remarked, the birds of the air do not sow or reap or gather into barns. And the Kentucky farmer poet Wendell Berry wrote, they do not tax their lives with forethought. That's something that we can learn. Sometimes we worry too much, we overthink things. I certainly do. But my sheep, my chickens, my horse and my dog tell me constantly to inhale this precious instant, to hold it in my lungs before it goes. And there's another important lesson that our animals teach us, and that is empathy. The ability to put ourselves into someone else's shoes. To be able to see the world, sense the world from beneath their skin. Animals don't share the same vocabulary as we do, though they're all pretty good at saying, dinner, now. 
But since our animals don't speak in words, we try to understand their body language. We have to feel what we need. Warmth, exercise, comfort. We watch, we pay attention, and we respond. And this is why contact with the animals produces vital life lessons for children. They make us listen. And if there ever was a life lesson worth grasping today, it's this one. We live in a culture where everyone seems to live with their finger on the transmit button, where entire classes of people are dismissed. Maybe we need to talk less and listen more, to feel more. Because the more care that we take, the more attention we pay, the more carefully we listen and feel, the more pleasure, the more wisdom we'll get from our animals and also from one another. And this mutually beneficial relationship with animals is just the tip of the iceberg. It's emblematic of something much more profound, which is the fundamental way in which we are organically woven into the substance of the world, the universe even. We are stardust, we are golden, sang Joni Mitchell. Woodstock isn't her best song, but she's right. Professor Iris Shriver from Stanford University says, everything we are and everything in the universe and on Earth originated from stardust, and it continually floats through us even today. It directly connects us to the universe, rebuilding our bodies over and again over our lifetimes. Our bodies are made of remnants of stars and massive explosions in the galaxies. All the material in our bodies originates with that residual stardust and it finds its way into plants and from there into nutrients that we need for everything we do, think, move and grow. Thank you, Miffy. None of us are simple, divisible units. We are joined to something much larger. Not only are we stardust, but we're also at least half microbe. There are slightly more microbes in our bodies than human cells. There are more of them in on a person's hand than there are people in the entire planet, says the American Society for Microbiology. They're the oldest form of life on Earth. Microbe fossils date back more than 3.5 billion years. Without microbes, we couldn't digest food, plants couldn't grow, rubbish wouldn't decay, and there'd be a lot less oxygen to breathe. Increasingly, we're finding just how intermeshed and codependent our world is. I'm reading an extraordinary novel at the moment, The Overstory by Richard Powers, and it's all about trees. At the heart of it is the notion, which scientists have only just recently begun to understand, is that individual trees don't have a built-in survival of the fittest mentality, competing for food, water, and sunlight. Forest trees are actually more like families or insect colonies. They're social creatures relying on one another for survival. In this, they're assisted by a network, which some people are calling the wood wide web, which is made up of fungi that grow at root tips and connect one tree to another. They help um, detect their surroundings and assist other trees in need. So it's no wonder, then, that it's such a lovely thing to walk in the woods. 
Studies suggest that spending quality time among trees can lower blood pressure, decrease stress hormones, fight depression, and accelerate healing and improve immune system function. We need each other. Now, it's my hunch that this, in this richly, profoundly woven tapestry of a creation, we understand something of the essence of what a creator God might be like. Not a distant, remote, interfering deity, but a divinity who is sensed, felt, heard in the creation itself. The prophet Jeremiah thought so, saying, Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, not a God far off? Who can hide in the secret places so that that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? The romantic poet John Keats agrees. And I have felt a presence of something far more deeply interfused, whose dwelling is the light of setting suns and the round ocean and the living air and the blue sky and in the mind of man. The wonderful Welsh poet R.S. Thomas puts it in a different way in his poem, Suddenly. God addresses me from a myriad directions with the fluency of water, the articulateness of green leaves, and in the genes too, the components of my existence. So if everything, if God is in everything and everything is in God, this instills in us a powerful sense that this precious home of ours and everything that dwells there is sacred. On a planet threatened by extinctions, we hear that I think today the Sumatran rhino has been declared extinct. When we're threatened by extinctions, deforestations, and climate crisis, we need to hold on. We hold on to what is holy. The farmer and poet Wendell Berry again. We must abandon arrogance and stand in awe. We must recover the sense of the majesty of creation and the ability to be worshipful in its presence. For I do not doubt that it is only on the condition of humility and reverence before the world that our species will be able to remain in it. And so, even though this is not technically a service for the blessing of animals. As such, we bless them nonetheless. In my book, blessing means something like, I'm glad you're you. Thank you for being in my life. So on this blessed earth, on this blessed earth I bless you and you and you and you. Amen.